Lord, what are you doing? I wonder when you've cried that out like that over the last year. Lord, what are you doing? Might be COVID, might be sadness in your life or lives of those you love. Might be something completely different that makes you cry out for our broken world. And COVID just makes it that bit worse. Lord, what are you doing? Or, or Lord, are you really there? Are you really in control? Are you really going to keep your promises to us and work out uh, things for the good of your people? Is heaven really coming? It's been a hard year, hasn't it? I mean, we've just talked about that. There's been great uh, blessing from God in different ways, but it's been hard for lots of us. Uh, and maybe what we've lost has helped us long for God to keep his promises to us just that little bit more. Now, I remember, uh, um, I remember, I, I watched online. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Andy referred to us being in a COVID-created exile. So we're, we're longing for our lives to be real, rebuilt to what they were, right? <laughs> That's the state we're in at the moment. We're longing for stuff to get back to how we were. And even more than that, we're, we're longing to be in a place where there's no more sickness or sadness or death. A place where we're with our Savior. In a world that's rebuilt and made, remade again. Is God powerful to keep his promises? Is he really in control? Well, today's passage, what we see and find here in Isaiah 44 and 45, the answer is yes. That's the good news for us today. Yes, he is. He is the Lord and there is no other. And even this passage tells us in times of trial, he knows we'll be asking these questions of him. So he's given us his word to remind us who he is and to point us to what he will do so that we can trust in him, so that we can keep on living for him. And so we can hold out the hope that we have to the world around us, to the people in the streets of Wandsworth. And that's what he was doing for his people in Isaiah 44 and 45. You see, uh, you know if you've been here as you've been going through Isaiah 40 to 48, Isaiah wrote for a people in the future for him. He wrote about events, the exile to Babylon, that were like 150 years later. He wrote so that God's people then, in exile, could be certain that the Lord still reigns, that he alone is God. And though they may not understand, though we may not understand why our circumstances are like they are, we can be certain that God is working out his purposes. So in these passages, in, the, in these chapters, we find two things, two points there on your service sheets if you're here in the building. Point one, the Lord's salvation for Israel. And then a second point we'll see, the Lord's salvation for the world. So let's work through together. But firstly, we'll see the Lord's salvation for Israel, for his people. Uh, so keep your, open your pages. Look down at verse 24 of chapter 44. God first reminds us who he is. He's personal. So read there with me. 
He's your redeemer who formed you in the womb. You see, God, he's talking to Israel as his child here. You know, he's the one who lovingly made Israel his people, knowing them so personally, knowing them before they were even visible. He's personal and yet powerful beyond our understanding. Look, he, said, he continues, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. He made the universe with as much effort as you or I pull a duvet open wide. That's what he's saying. He's personal and yet powerful. And he's far greater knowledge than you or me or anyone else who has ever lived. Look at verse 25. He foils the signs of false prophets, makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers. What he promises will happen because he made the universe. He's the one keeping it going. And so when he says, verse 26, of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. And of their ruins, I will restore them. That's a guarantee. For these exiles, in the future, Isaiah's talking to, writing for, it's a guarantee that God is going to remake their land. He made the universe. So he can rebuild a city and some towns. He's done it before and he'll do it again. That's what Isaiah is saying for us. Remember the Exodus when the Lord led his people from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan? Verse 27 is referring to when they crossed the Red Sea. He said to the watery deep, be dry and I will dry up your streams. It happened. And he got his people to the promised land and Isaiah is saying, he'll get them back. See, those future exiles in Babylon knew God's rescue of the past. And he's saying, you've seen my track record, this is my guarantee. But what perhaps is the most remarkable thing is the means through which he will do it in this passage the person he will use so look down with me at verse 28 the lord says of cyrus he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that i please he will say of jerusalem let it be rebuilt and of the temple let its foundations be laid uh, here's a picture of cyrus pretty irrelevant because it's just a guy from the past <laughs> but this is cyrus and this passage is the only one in isaiah where cyrus is mentioned and to the people of isaiah's time and even to the people that isaiah is writing to the names are relevant he's just a guy from the future or from their present who they don't even know yet but it's remarkable because Isaiah knows the name of someone, Cyrus, who is going to release the Jewish exiles from Babylonian captivity. And not only will he command the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the cities of Judah, and the great temple destroyed by the Babylonians, but remember, yet to be destroyed in Isaiah's time. When Isaiah says this, the temple's still there. What's remarkable is... Isaiah knew this hundreds of years earlier. God planned this before the beginning of time. 
And it's remarkable that Cyrus is used by God in this way. He's just a pagan. He's not one of God's people. The sovereign God says of Cyrus, despite that, he is my shepherd, my anointed, 45 verse 1. Literally, that means my Messiah, the promised rescuer, literally Christ. Cyrus, a non-believer, verse 45, uh, chapter 45, verse 4, who does not acknowledge God, who the Lord will use to rescue his people. If anything, all this demonstrates is that God's in control. Cyrus didn't know what he was doing, but God was going to use him to bring his people back to the promised land. The Lord will go before him, verse 2 of chapter 45. Give him treasures, verse 3. Summon him, verse 4. Give him a title of honor for the sake of his servant Jacob, for the fulfillment of his promises, for the blessing of his people. And Cyrus, as I've said, he, he's completely unaware why this is happening. But we see we are not, because Isaiah tells us. Verse 6, chapter 45, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. That's the refrain that goes through this passage all the way. I am the Lord and there is no other. And the rescue that God will bring to his people is to show off who he is. To let the world know, to let his people know he is the Lord and there is no other. It's both the act of getting his people home, but, but how he does that, how he fulfills those promises. Let's just hammer this a little bit. So for Cyrus... Like a huge number of free decisions were made by a vast number of people over two centuries. But all in God's control. And God is saying, I know it's going to happen, I will make it happen, I am the Lord and there is no other. So Nebuchadnezzar, 587 BC, little history lesson for you. Um, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, laid it waste after Isaiah writes. And as we find um, in history, 30 years later, this man called Cyrus came to the throne of a place called Anchan in Persia. Who his parents were, we don't know. But there must have been some free decisions there as he, he was born and then he was brought up. Ten years later, he conquered the Medes, formed them into the Medo-Persian Empire. If you know the book of Daniel, it's ringing bells for you. And then another decade, and he's grown strong enough to conquer Babylon. And then the very next year, he issues this decree for the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. God's shepherd, God's anointed, God's Messiah, raised up to bless God's people. Cyrus wins battle, takes plunder, grows in wealth, only because the Lord wills it. It's not Assyria, it's not Babylon, these massive empires of the time that are in charge. Not Cyrus who's running things. I am the Lord and besides me there is no other. And we might say, God, why are you doing it this way? Right? <laughs> like, it's an interesting plan, but maybe a few tweaks. Like, even it'd be better for your people to miss on the exile, right? 
Or it would be better for you to use one of them. Or maybe rescue them with just someone we can respect a little bit more who's not a bit of so much of a warlord. Well, look at God's God's answer to that. Uh, Look down with me at verse 9. He says, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds. That's just fragments of pottery among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say, The potter has no hands? Or, as the ESV translates it, Your work has no handles? I couldn't help but thinking of I'm a little teapot, short and stout but without handles. Does the work say to the one who made it, why have you done this? God, why have you done it like this? It's absurd for a mug to say to the one who formed it, I'm not sure you've done the right, a good job here, actually. I'm looking at Al as an artist. <laughs> Imagine Al painting a glorious picture and the picture going, eh, no, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Could have done things a little bit differently here. Woe to the one who says, woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but pot serves. Verse 10, woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? Like a child saying, I don't think you've done a good job of bringing me up like this. God, why are you making us this way? Are you sure you know what you're doing? Well, verse 11, this is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? Remember who I am. Verse 12, it is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. Simply, we may not understand God's ways, but his ways are best. Remember who he is. Lord, what are you doing? We cry out. Why are things like they are? Remember who I am, he says. We may not understand his ways, but we can know him. And we can know he is personal. Notice, even verse 13, they are my exiles. They're not just random exiles. They are my exiles. His people. He's personal. And he's powerful. He's the one controlling history to fulfill his purposes for the good of his people and for his glory. So that people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. We cry out, Lord, what are you doing? That's his answer. We don't understand his ways, but we can be sure he is working in ways we can't always see for his glory and for our good. Verse 11, remember who I am, he says. I think lockdown's been tricky for me. 
I don't know what it's been like for you. Just my quiet times haven't been that good. <laughs> I've struggled. I don't know what it's been like yeah, for you and your, your remembering who God is. But maybe it's a breaking routine. Maybe it's just the added pressure. Maybe it's just, I don't really want to. And I think it's a combination of all those things. I see the brokenness of the world. I see the difficulty of people's lives. I know the difficulties of my life. And I think, God, what are you doing? And part of that's pushing me away. I'm sure that was the case for the exiles. In some ways, they're going, God, what are you doing? God says, no, come back to me. Remember who I am. As my people remember who I am, he says to all saints Wandsworth. God says, remember who I am. It's been maybe particularly tricky because church has not really been church as well. So we're not able to have those one-to-one get-togethers. We can't have a chat after church and encourage each other with what God's doing as much. And so the onus over the last year has probably been on us as individuals and in our families more and more. Remember who I am. I don't know for you, but for, for me, this is a real encouragement, challenge, to think about that more. Over these coming months, how am I going to remember who God is? How am I going to help myself see him? look to him, trust in him. I don't know what it'll be like for you and how that can help. I'm thinking I need to just carve out that time day by day, be more disciplined with it when the alarm goes in the morning, not pressing snooze, asking God to help me do that. It may be, we can't have the chats after church, but do I need to be better at then using my exercise for good and seeing people from church and encouraging each other. Uh, Is it better with my phone calls? If I'm talking to people, making sure I talk about what I'm reading in God's word and asking what they're seeing of him. Remember who I am, he says, so that we can trust him, so that we can remember how good he is, how personal he is, how much he loves us. I am the Lord and there is no other. He's powerful. He's working things out in our, for our good. But we need to remember the good news that he's told us in his word. His saving purpose is for his people. We see the Lord's salvation for Israel here. Uh, in the rest of the passage, we see the Lord's salvation for the world explained as well you see god is not just the god of you of israel he's unique he's the god of the whole world and his salvation gloriously here in isaiah 45 we find is for the whole world and so the lord speaking to his people about when their exile ends says the whole world will recognize him for who he is the nations verse 14 look down egypt cush and those tall sabaeans They're there representing the wealth, the prosperity, the influence of humanity. And they will bow down and plead, saying, Surely God is with you and there is no other. There is no other God. 
Uh, when we uh, make an idol of something, we treat it like it is another god. So we take God's good gifts to us and enjoy them, appreciate them, but worship them and put our hope in them. Uh, whilst walking away and in enjoying those gifts but walking away from the one who gives them to us with no appreciation to him wanting nothing to do with him and one way we do this is looking to created things to save us now i wonder where you're looking for salvation at the moment is it to the lord or is it to other things as well i'll tell you where i'm tempted to look I look at Sam and I'm tempted to look at holidays with his tan there. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to sunshine. I know lots of you are looking forward to schools being back open. And, and, and we say, we feel, once I've got all these things, everything will be all right. That's what I'm telling myself all the time. Do you know that um, vaccination on the BBC, there's a page that I have got to get out of the habit of checking every day that tells me how many vaccinations have gone in, around the population in the UK. Um, Boris even said, vaccine is salvation for humanity. Now in one sense it is, and I'm not a vaccine denier, I'll tell you that. Um, and obviously it is. A vaccine coming is brilliant news. And holidays and sunshine and schools being back are really good things. But when our hope is in those things and not God, when I go to that page on the BBC website rather than my Bible, rather than to prayer and trust in him, we're rejecting him, our creator. We're idolizing things that can't ultimately save us rather than the one who can. Because of our rejection, God would be, well, in a way, perfectly in, in his rights to just bin us off and do away with us. And the Bible warns us time and again that a time is coming when he will judge the world he has made. Uh, we see that warning here. It's his kindness to us. It's giving us an opportunity to come back to him. Because these things, they can't save us ultimately. We, we all know that, whether we're trusting in Jesus and following God or not. We know that because we know our world is still broken. We know that, yes, a vaccine will potentially keep us alive for a bit longer. But we will die. And the Bible tells us when we die, we'll all face God's judgment one day. Those who worship idols, verse 16, will be put to shame and disgraced. They will go off into disgrace together. Whereas in contrast, verse 17, but Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. For his people, Israel, the Lord promised and sent a shepherd, an anointed one and a Messiah, Cyrus, to bring his people back from, his, from exile. For us, the brilliant news of the Bible is the Lord promises another, another shepherd, another Messiah. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a fulfillment of God's promises, declaring the coming of his kingdom. 
And he lived the most beautiful life in worship of God. No idolatry. No worshipping other things. And at Easter in his death, Jesus died in the place of idolaters like you and me. Making the way for us to know God. To be his people forever. The judgment we deserve has been put on Jesus. If we're trusting in him. And by his resurrection, Jesus gives new life, hope of new life for those who are trusting in him. And he promises he'll come back to take his people, to be with him, to end our exile, to remake this broken world. You see, we're in a COVID-created exile, but we're in a bigger exile from our God that Jesus promises to end if we're trusting in him. And in Isaiah 45 the Lord who created the heavens, made the earth, verse 18, who formed it to be inhabited. And here, verse 20, openly invites the world, the fugitives from the nations to come, to leave our idols, to leave lumps of wood that are impotent to save. He invites us to put our trust in the Lord. Now, I don't know everyone here. I don't know everyone watching at home. And I have to ask, have you done that? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus today? Have you left the things of this world behind and cried out for mercy, for salvation, for real hope and life? If you haven't, Isaiah begs you, put your trust in him today. It's really simple. Say sorry for following created things, for looking to created things to save. Say thank you for sending Jesus and say please give me the hope, the life that there is in him today. Help me to live trusting in Jesus. It's simple. There's hope, there's life, there's salvation in Christ. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus, who have asked for that forgiveness, well, this is hope to hold out to those around us. As you start door knocking on, in the streets around here, as you spend time with near neighbours, uh, on the phone to friends, and as lockdown eases, we pray and hope. As you start to meet people, this is the hope. This is what we need to go out with to those around to our family, to our friends, to our neighbours. Will you do that if you're trusting in Christ today? How can you do that tomorrow? How can you do that? Who will you be seeing who you can hold out this hope to? Because only the Lord can say, verse 21, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. And only the Lord can say, verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Let's pray to him now and then I'll hand back to Sam. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you show us of yourself in these verses, in these chapters of Isaiah. Lord, you, are, you alone are God. 
There is no other. And Father, thank you for what Isaiah tells us of you, that you're a personal God and you're a powerful God. Help us to trust in you and live for you. Help us to remember who you are. Help us to be good at carving that time out to look to you, to read your word, to pray to you, to depend on you. And Father, pray that you would help us to hold out this hope that there is in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you sent one for us, your anointed one, your shepherd, your Messiah, who came into this world offering life and hope and who will come back and take his people to be with him. Thank you that there is hope for this broken world. And Father, please use us in whatever situations you put us for your glory, for the honour of your name. Help us to live out your gospel and speak your truth to those around us.